Hello, and welcome to another episode of Two Guys in a Chainsaw. I'm Todd. And I'm Craig. Today's film was a suggestion by one of our listeners. It is the 2016 film Bleed, not to be confused with the 2002 horror film Bleed. This one just came out, obviously this year, by director, writer, and editor Trip Rame. This is one of his first films. He's done a couple other things before this, um, but not too much. So uh, this appears to be his first venture out into the horror genre. So, um, Craig, uh, had you heard of this movie before? I sure hadn't. No, I hadn't heard anything about it. Um, and I knew very little about it. And uh, other than you know what I saw on the screen, I still know very little about it because <laughs> as hard as I tried to find it, info about it on the internet um i came up pretty short like you said the director is uh, fairly new uh in the entertainment industry i guess and some of these actors were mildly familiar i think but um i looked at their imdb credits and nothing jumped out at me i, I don't think that they've um done anything major that uh our listeners would be familiar with with that being said with with I don't want to say amateur actors. That's not fair. All of them had credits. Um, but with fairly unknown actors and a, a relatively new director, um, the the quality of the movie is... is I, I went in with fairly low expectations. Um, and I think that's a good thing. Uh, I, 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 I didn't... It was better than I expected it to be. Let's just say that. Well, you know, sometimes it's good to come into a movie when you don't know anything about it, right? And uh, then you can form your... Compl- then you can completely form your own opinion, uh, and you're not influenced by anything else. And just like for the same reason, sometimes it's good to see a movie with actors you don't recognize, uh, because then your vision of their character isn't really tainted by anything that they've done in the past, or your preconceived notion of their personality and the kind of roles that they play, right? That is absolutely true. And to be fair, uh, some of these actors, I mean, they've been in things that you would recognize, uh, just not maybe recognizable people. I think the only one who kind of jumped out to me was this Riley Smith uh, who played uh, Eric in this movie, the uh-huh. sort of the the brother. Now, he has that like you said, he has that kind of familiar looking face and when I was going down through his profile, I realized he's been in things that I've seen, although I I wouldn't have been able to tell you that, you know, before or after this movie without actually looking right. it up. But yeah, I mean, I thought more than anything uh, that the acting in this movie was pretty solid. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I, we'll, we'll get into talking about the plot and things, and I, I definitely have some complaints about the movie, but um, I would say that it, it's it's pretty competent on a lot of levels. You know, I thought that the cinematography was pretty competent. I mean, sometimes um, it felt a little bit like it could have been maybe a made-for-TV, made-for-sci-fi, um, as far as quality goes, sometimes. But other times, I thought that it was, was, was pretty good. Um, like you said, the acting um, is not bad. I mean, we've, we've watched some movies with some bad performances in them before, and, and that can be fun sometimes, too. But that's, that's not really the case here. I mean, the, the acting is competent. Um, I think that where most of my complaint with this movie lies with the script and the storytelling, it felt a lot all over the place to me. To me, it kind of felt like, ooh, we found this abandoned structure let's film lots of creepy shots and then we'll figure out a story later (laughs) Uh, 
but uh, I don't know. Maybe, maybe you'll disagree. No, I would. I would actually agree with that assessment completely. Uh, I, you know, it's the the cinematography really pulled me in, and the acting didn't take me out of it. So right. it was uh, uh, ultimately, ultimately, it was the plot that had me scratching my head, especially by the end. And you're right; it did feel like a, a little bit of everything thrown in there. Well, I, the plot starts out with kind of a flashback sequence to December 5th, 1979, where we have a couple guys talking in what appears to be a very old backwaters town. Uh, another thing this movie does really well, I thought, was give us a sense of place. Uh, we did feel mm-hmm. like we were out kind of in the boonies, out in maybe the mountains, the Ozarks, someplace like that, uh, West Virginia, someplace where it's not real hillbilly hickish, but... There's that element uh, around, and it sounds like they're talking. I don't know. You kind of have to decode and pick apart what they're saying. I'm not really clear, um, but a little girl walks in and buys some candy while they're chatting, and one of them notices a birthmark or some kind of mark. I actually thought it was a tattoo. I guess we later find out it's, in fact, a birthmark on her arm, Mm -hmm. and it's shaped like a moon, and that... Is supposed to be sinister. Uh, it piques their interest, and after she leaves, the younger of the guys goes after her in a truck. She says something that upsets them. It was, it was difficult for me to. The accents were so thick that it was difficult for me to understand what any of them were saying at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, we we pick up later in in contemporary time, and and then you know that's not so much of an issue. But um, yeah, the two guys it sounded like they were just talking about rabbit hunting. I don't know if there was supposed to be something significant about that. Um, but the girl comes in and. I had the subtitles on, but this was on YouTube, and the subtitles are so unreliable. I mean, they just didn't make any sense at all. So I'm really still not exactly sure what she said, but it sounded something like, Ruth is my friend. You're going to pay for your sinning. Yep. She told me she wasn't your first. And the guy says, who's been talking these lies? The preacher? And she says, the angels. And this clearly upsets them, and, and the guy won't give her the candy that she has already paid for. So she snatches it away and runs away and he sends the younger, the guy who was upset sends the younger of the two after her. And, and that's just kind of the end of that flashback scene until we jump into contemporary time. And I wasn't really sure what was going on. And I I don't think we're supposed to be sure what's going on. I think it's supposed to be mysterious and it's supposed to kind of be resolved later on. Um, but uh, even though there is some resolution, you know that that char- those characters pop back up. We we come back, you know, we flash back in time later in the movie. I was never entirely clear what was going on, um, so maybe you'll be able to help me out in that regard. Uh, <laughs> I'm not sure I'm going to, but you're right. It is <laughs> it is an effective uh, entrance because right off the bat it does establish a, a sense of mystery, and clearly something's not right about these guys and of course anytime you're talking with a little kid in this general sense especially when she makes a comment like that then obviously this is some violence being directed towards children which is always kind of Mm -hmm. creepy and you always want to know where it's gonna where it's gonna end up so yeah between the moon-shaped birthmark and what she says to them and and again even them talking about rabbit hunting sounded a little brutal uh in a sense they talked about how you're gonna you gotta corner them and and then the movie kicks off into the present day, uh, where we have a couple, Sarah and Matt, 
um, who have moved into a new house. Isn't this how so many horror movies start out, right? <laughs> we mm-hmm, moved mm-hmm. out of the city and into the old house in the country uh, to get away from it all, and things are going to turn sinister, of course. <laughs> it Right, right. Uh, and Sarah, the the very I think the first time that we're introduced to Sarah, she's driving, or she's not even driving. I think she's just pulled over on the side of the road, and she has a flat tire, and she's pregnant. Like pro- clearly in her third trimester, probably going to be giving birth soon. Very pregnant, and um, she can't get her tire changed. And then this local deputy pulls up, and he looks, you know, like the locals in these movies always look kind of backwoods. But he appears friendly, and he um, changes her tire for her. Um, but after he has done that, they're talking, and he notices that she has the same birthmark, that that half-moon birthmark on her neck. Um, and he asks her about it, and she says, well, it's just a birthmark. And then he says something to her along the lines of um, – you got to be careful around here because there's some strange folk or something like that. Um, of course, you know, very ominous, you know, the warning from the locals, it's pretty typical fare. Um, and then she goes home and that's when we start getting introduced to all of the core characters. That's right. We have her husband, Matt. Uh, we have Dave and Sabrina who come in a little later. They're obviously some friends who they've invited over as kind of a housewarming thing, I think. And while they're getting set up, um, while they're going through their motions, uh, ominous music comes in every now and then. <laughs> Where that's uh, what's one of the criticisms I have of this film at the beginning, particularly, is that I think too much of it of what we're supposed to find scary or supposed to find sinister, uh, sinister foreshadowing by mm-hmm. ominous music uh, that just kind of slips in in the middle of these domestic scenes. Um, yeah. Uh, anyway, I think that's a little bit of cheating because I certainly didn't feel like there was anything ominous going on uh, a lot of the time. Mm-mm. It's really about half an hour of just domestic type banter when we learned that each one of these characters uh, has some kind of special problem. They're eventually joined by Sky and Eric. Sky, we learn, is Sarah's brother. I'm sorry. Eric is Sarah's Eric. brother. Sky is a, is a woman, and it's Eric's sort of basically Eric's latest fling. It sounds like. And when they uh-huh. come in, they are very uh, boisterous and happy, and there seems to be some tension between Sarah and Eric. When are you planning on getting home? Well, this is it. Oh, come on! Don't don't give me that look. All right, I'm not trying to move into your big house with too many rooms. Our home is the slab that we rolled in on. That's our home now. You are going to live in the van? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, besides, we can't really, um... We can't really go back to the apartment. You know, we haven't paid rent since, like, November. But, no, but it, the walls were getting small, and it was, it was like... It was really, like... Jesus, Eric, just I don't know, the energy on. wasn't there, you know? Okay, have you thought about getting a job? Yeah. Yeah, I mean... I don't know, you know, it's like... Life is about living... You know, living. Yeah, living takes money, Eric. Food, gas. We'll be all right. I always am. You know that. Later, Sarah gives him some cash. Matt is a doctor, um, which will come in handy later, of course. <laughs> so they're pretty well kind to of. do. Yeah, sort of, right? <laughs> 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 they're pretty well to do. Uh, and uh, Eric is the guy who's flouncing around. He's the lost brother trope again, that we find in these movies, who's come back and is going to be a burden and cause some tension between Sarah and Matt because Sarah is going to help him. 
and Matt is going to be angry and say, why can't you, you know, cut loose your younger, wilder brother and help him to be more responsible? So we have this cast of six characters who stand around and just start chatting. And Sky at one point takes a bath and sees a guy from under the water. It looks like kind of a tall, bearded, old pi- pirate. I was thinking an old pirate guy. <laughs> Ghost. Yeah, it was kind of a, kind of a cross between like uh, the lead singer in a heavy metal band yeah. and a hillbilly or something. Like, um, like long black hair. And, and of course, he's, he's like ghostly. So he, he's got kind of this gothy makeup. I mean, I don't think it's intended to look like goth makeup, but that's kind of the effect, which, um, I don't know, not terribly scary. I mean, the effect, we just see the outside of the, uh, the, the tub and then he kind of appears out of nowhere, you know, just kind of this gaseous appearance. Um, and then she sees him standing over and it's kind of scary and like blood's dripping off of him into the water. But of course, when she comes up out of the water, he's not there. Um, so we assume that this guy is going to be our antagonist, or at least one of our antagonists, that this is going to be kind of a haunting thing, um, which it ends up being kind of, but again, like I said, it's such a hodgepodge of different ideas. Um, like already we're what, like maybe, I don't know, 20 minutes into this very short movie, by the way, it's only like 72 minutes or something like that. Yeah. Um, and we've already got like creepy hillbillies, this potentially crazy ghost. It's already been suggested that one of the girls, Brie, um, is schizophrenic. And so if she's going to be seeing things, we don't know if they're going to be, you know, real or her hallucinations. I mean, just so many things. And that's just the beginning. (laughs) (laughs) There's so much more to be thrown into the mix later on. Um, And I think it was just a little bit too much. I I really think that if they could have focused the story a little bit, um, it would have been a better movie. Uh, It it just seems like there's so many things going on that by the end, when there's supposed to be a twist, it doesn't even really feel like a twist because there's been so much craziness happening that you expect something unexpected. Um, but anyway, yeah. I'm getting ahead of myself. Well, uh, yes. So, it, <laughs> so we see that ghost in the bathtub. It's hard not to bring up constantly because you are confused. And I think that's the way I felt kind of throughout this movie is a little bit of confusion. And you expect a certain amount of confusion, especially in a movie where there's going to be a twist at the end. There are going to be things that aren't revealed to you. And so that's not an unusual feeling. But you really can't make heads or tails of it for a long time. And by the end of it, I was kind of like, oh, so that's it? <laughs> yeah. Still yeah. with some unresolved questions. I, and you're right. It's kind of funny that you get the schizophrenic in here. Uh, then there's tension between Sarah and Matt, which I thought was a little forced. They seem to be pretty loving mm-hmm. towards each other and very understanding to each other otherwise. But then the script throws in these kind of weird, silly moments like when Sky it gets excited in the bathtub and starts screaming. Matt runs in uh, to see if she's okay. And that upsets Sarah. Hey, hey, hey. I, I heard her scream. I went to help. I didn't think she was going to be half naked. I didn't seem to mind either. So. Well, I was checking out our guest. What's your deal? I don't know. I'm sorry. I'm having these really weird thoughts lately. 
about us and the move and the baby and it's okay and and she's she goes off on this this monologue about seeing things in nature and everything seems to be going by so fast and life is so precious and fragile. It's gone so quickly. And it's like this existential moment. And I'm like, I don't understand. Like, is she supposed to be haunted? Is she supposed to be having weird feelings? Is it just because she's pregnant and she's, you know, worried and and there's never really any answer to a lot of these questions. Yeah. You know, she appears to be having these ominous feelings and as it turns out she should be because bad things are going to start happening, but why? Why is she inspired to have these feelings? And then right after that, like she's just looking around in this house that they have just unpacked, like they've gotten there and she finds a mysterious old book. Ooh. And like she opens the book and reads it and it says the angels came again last night. They they talked to me. I wasn't scared. And like, all of these things, you know, these they're so typical in in horror movies. But they don't necessarily all work at the same time. And I feel like the creators, the director of the movie just thought, well, this has worked and been cool in other movies, so let's just put it in there. It'll be awesome. Yeah. And it, 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 it just seems it, it falls a little flat and it seems a little cheap and, and unoriginal, sadly. Well, it's not long after the diary, which doesn't ever come into play again at all. And Sarah Mm-mm. never makes mention of and apparently doesn't read anything beyond that first page uh, that right. they're out playing playing Frisbee <laughs> in the backyard. And, oh, the Frisbee gets tossed a little too far into the woods and in goes uh, Dave to retrieve it. And he runs across a grave. Anna Harris, right. uh, grave of Anna Harris, dated from 1970 to 1979, and so we pretty quickly put together that this is the grave of that little girl, uh, and it's weird. It's it's if you talk about things being thrown in, um, the fact that there's a grave marked with a gravestone in the back of this house that apparently belonged to this little girl who was talking with this very strong hillbilly accent, uh, who came in looking rather dirty and disheveled when she did, buying a small handful of candy. Are we supposed to believe that um, she lived in this house? This monstrous, um, really nice, multi-storied McMansion kind of out in the... In, in the And I would think, oh, well, maybe there was another house, you know, there before, and this house was built on its land, and that's why there's a grave kind of out in the woods, because it was a little more backwater before somebody moved in and put in a newer house, except we find a diary in the closet of this house. So, you know, that can't really be easily explained away either. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty clunky and contrived, and it just keeps going, like, there's there's just no... There's no flow to the to the to the script to the storytelling. I mean, right from there, they're like, "Oh, we found a grave," and Eric's like, "Oh, well, big deal. Who cares? Let's go sit down around the table." So they do, like, "Oh, big deal. We find graves all the time, whatever." And then um, they sit down around the table, and Eric and Sky are like, "Oh, by the way, we're ghost hunters, and we've been to all these places all over the country, and we've been hunting ghosts." And like, what? (laughs) Okay. And, they and they've got, you know, like the, the voice recorder where they can record supernatural voices. And Eric has this strange 
like bracelet that has this weird symbol on it that he got somewhere else that later on is somehow supposed to be connected. And I don't really have under uh, any understanding of why it's just so much <laughs> that you're trying to unpack and process. And there's really not much point because it, in the end, it's just, it doesn't really matter. <laughs> yeah. Eric has kind of a throwaway line where he says something about how the bracelet called to him and it brought him here or something. I, it seemed to be a real quick, easy way to shoehorn in this idea that this symbol had some power or brought them together. But again, it was so shoehorned in and it was so throwaway that it just seemed completely contrived. And again, he doesn't mention it again into the future. Um, later on, we see that symbol again a couple more times. But the connection is very tenuous. He also tells this story out of nowhere. He just says that when he and Sarah were kids, there were ghosts in their house. And we get a flashback to this scene that looks very much like Poltergeist with Eric, the brother, like huddled in a corner while Sarah, presumably the sister, is being pulled under the bed by some strange force that we don't see and we don't know what it is. And um, he says, but at the last second, we were saved. And Matt's like, what saved you? And they're like, butterflies. (laughs) (laughs) It's okay. (laughs) Good story. I don't really. I I came through the whole movie not really understanding that part. Did the butterflies burst out of the closet and distract the ghost or something so they could get out? No idea. (laughs) You know, there's, there's there's a tie at the end to this story, but it's so tenuous that like. It doesn't even make sense. I don't know. Anyway, we'll get there. (laughs) Well, they say. Oh, and then, okay. the, The very next thing. Then Dave's like. There was a serial killer back in the 70s. Who? Newspapers called him Cannibal Kane, said he mutilated his victims, then ate them. Some weird satanic something or other. They caught him, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Creepy to know that there's people like that in jail, getting old like the rest of us. Well, not anymore. But he got out? No, 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 no. Uh, he died. The prison burnt down back in the 80s. It was like it was a big story around here. Something like 100 people were trapped inside and died in their we cell. We need to check that out. Yeah, we do. What? Yeah, it's a perfect night, full moon. Like, it's just one clunky <laughs> plot device after another. And, like, they literally just come one right on top of another. They do. And I'm, at this point, I'm like, are you serious? Like, what? what is this movie trying to be? Well, the, the hilarious... <laughs> the, the, <laughs> The hilarious thing is that Matt seems to think this is a good idea, too. Matt, who's been, like, critical and nasty and kind of mean to Eric this whole time, just is like, yeah, I'm down for it if you guys are. (laughs) Yeah. And later on, that tries to get explained away by Matt and um, Sarah have a little conference in the bedroom while they're packing for this this spur-of-the-moment trip to the abandoned, um, burned-down prison in the middle of the woods. And uh, she's like, I don't even know why you're going. And he says something like, well, I'm going to go. I guess his idea is I'm going to go and I'm going to show them that it's nothing. And then that's going to make Eric mature or something. He's he's got to grow up sometime. And so if I go and and indulge him in this, uh, then I'm going to be able to prove that that he can't see ghosts or something. I don't know. it's, It's very tenuous. Mm-hmm. And it's so out of character for him. You know, he's supposed to be the doctor, rational mind, um, who's mm-hmm. kind of upset for him. And now he seems all too eager to go on this ghost hunting expedition and leave his pregnant wife behind because she's not at all interested in going. But but he's going to go right. anyway. <laughs> so right. 
they all end up going ghost hunting. So they get out to the middle of the woods, and there is this cool set piece, which, um, from what mm-hmm. I gather, is was an actual place. I mean, I don't think this movie has the budget to build something like that. But, mm-hmm. yeah, clearly is is a real place that I'd like to see sometime. And looks like an old burned-out prison. It even has a downstairs area under the ground. And so when they get there, the first thing is, well, I say we all split up. <laughs> right. Uh-huh. <laughs> and so everybody splits up and goes their separate ways. And this place didn't look that big, but apparently it is big enough. Uh, and, of course, it has that underground section. So everybody's going off in their different areas. And immediately, Sky and Eric do what Sky and Eric do best, which is start kissing and making out and flirting with each other and lighting up a joint. Uh, while the rest of them go running around, is it Sabrina who actually walks into a room and sees a vision of, again, Rob Zombie sitting on a chair uh, right, his long hair. Yeah, blood comes out of his. She mouth. does. <laughs> yeah, you know we see we see that guy like as soon as they Sarah drops him off and as soon as they go in. Well, not before she doesn't leave before Eric stops her and says, "Sarah, we have a gift." Like, okay, I, I don't have any idea what that's supposed to be about, but um, we see Sarah driving away and she's just kind of driving along the road. She gets distracted by the uh, radio and sees the little ghost girl, I think, in the car with her or something like that. And so she flips her car. Um, and then we cut back to uh, the prison. And yes, Bree and um, Dave are walking around. And Bree sees this guy, like you said, sitting in a chair. But she assumes that it's her schizophrenic hallucinations coming back, which also doesn't make any sense because she had said earlier when she was talking about her hallucinations that she had had these people in her life up until she was this certain age. And then when she started taking medication, they went away. So there's no indication that she was just seeing randos all the time. Like it seems like, you know, she had these particular visions, but she blames it on her schizophrenia and starts popping Thorazine like it's Tic Tacs. Yeah. Um, mean, meanwhile, <laughs> she's what? Go every, ahead. every time she sees a hallucination, she like frantically grabs for a pill bottle and pops another pill. It's like, I don't think that's how medicine works. <laughs> right. And if you've been taking Thorazine for schizophrenia since you were eight years old, I think that you would know that. <laughs> <laughs> But then, so Sky and Eric, like you said, are doing their thing, smoking weed, making out, and they find this weird kind of place down underground that has candles. I mean, it kind of looks like a shrine. We find several other shrines throughout. Um, this one's kind of mild. Um, but they find a scary book, and they read from it out loud, which you should always do. When, <laughs> just uh, Listeners, if you're out there, if you find yourself in a really scary place, in a really scary situation, and you find a really super old scary book with like cult illustrations in it and stuff, Read out loud from it because nothing bad will happen. Nothing bad. Uh, um, no. we, we haven't seen that in a million movies before. And that's exactly what happens. He reads something out of it. The lost return, awakening the dead, and the end begins, drawing the devil from out of the cycle. Hello? And it seems like something is awoken in the prison and they all hear some big loud noise and there's a rush of wind. And, and so Skye, when that happens, is all freaked out and she wants to get out of there. <laughs> um, but Eric, with his sexy eyes, is able to seduce her into having sex right there in that room. Um, <laughs> but while they're having sex, he apparently turns into this Rob Zombie ghost that we've seen. And it's this kind of violent, rapey <laughs> scene. And she grabs... 
something. I don't remember what it was. She grabs something and stabs him in the neck with it. Yeah. And then he falls back and he's bleeding, bleeding, bleeding. And everybody else comes in and Matt, the doctor is trying to help him. And then all of a sudden he, Eric's just fine. His whole <laughs> shirt is covered in blood. And my, the note that I wrote down, is like, Matt just magically heals him. But apparently <laughs> Matt finally just, Matt finally just says, it just stopped bleeding. I don't understand. <laughs> and that, that's just it. I mean, oh, okay, good enough explanation. And Eric, who has just been stabbed in the neck and has been bleeding from the throat, is the only one who wants to stay and continue to look around. I mean, it's just well, oh, it's, it's frustratingly nonsensical. Nobody's freaked out that she stabbed him. It's. I mean, they just pardon that. It, it's. Yeah, you're right. It, it's weird. It's weird. Uh, in the meantime, Sarah uh, has been picked up. Uh, by a scarred cop. Um, this is a guy who um, we, if I think you can recognize him, isn't he the same guy from the beginning? Isn't he supposed to be the young person, uh, the young person who went after the girl, but a little older? I'm not sure. It could very well. Who knows? Yeah, maybe not. But but he's got a whole half of his face is burned up, which is sinister, of course, because we know that they're in a right. up uh, place. And they have some very uh, spooky dialogue back and forth. I think it keeps cutting back and forth to to Sarah and this uh, person, right? But eventually Sarah mm-hmm. um, convinces him to pull over because she feigns that she's sick. She's sufficiently creeped out by him, and she runs off into the woods. And he – go ahead. There's also this creepy guy sitting in the back seat, and it's a total jump stare. And it's this guy who's like they all just call the captain, and he's very creepy and ominous too. And he says like, "Oh yeah, they let me ride around with them for nostalgia or something." But oh, so he—it's just real. all very. Yeah, I think yeah, he was real. I don't, you know, it's so funny that it came so out of nowhere and the driver seemed to completely not acknowledge him at all that I assumed he was a vision she kept having that she knew was a vision because she has this gift. And he, cause he even had like this, the way he was lit, you know, was kind of a glow from behind and, but in, in front. And at first I thought, well, maybe he's the vision of this preacher that, you know, they keep talking about, but you're right. I guess mm-hmm. he was just a guy. Actually, that makes more sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but, but less. Yeah, and, and <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, as sensical as this movie gets. Um, meanwhile, the group is still back at the. So you're right. She eventually gets creeped out enough that she gets out and starts running through the woods. Um, but the group is back at uh, the jail. They've tried to leave, but as always happens in these types of movies, somehow they've gotten turned around in the woods and they just end up right back where they were. And once again. They find a scary book and uh, they open it up and, and it says on seducing the soul of the newborn, the vessel will deliver the chosen. And it's got a picture of an infant in there and all these ceremonial symbols and whatnot. And so obviously Sarah's baby is going to play an integral part in this last, you know, that's something that's going on and, and that's going to be a danger. Um, and Eric very cryptically says, we were brought here for a reason. I can just feel it. Oh. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's all, it's, it's crazy. He starts lighting candles. And for a while I thought, well, he was possessed or something and he's going to start some ritual. But, but that gets dropped immediately because the next time somebody runs across him, he's somewhere else. Uh, 
Yeah. And then I can't remember who says this, but at some point, um, I think it's when maybe Sky finds Eric or Sabrina finds Eric. She, they run across something. Was it some bones or, oh, it's like some skin hanging from the ceiling and maybe some body parts? They come across so many different things. I don't remember what order it is, but yeah, you know, at at one point, um, you know, Eric, who is the one who is so gung ho about staying there, he runs down in there. Sky runs off into the forest where she encounters all of these men with flashlights. We can't really see them because they're in in darkness, but um, they are very ominous and threatening. So she comes running back and, because they're now being pursued by these people who they don't know and don't know what they want. Um, Matt says, um, Dave, you take the girls down into the cellar or into the the prison and and find a place to hide. And I'm going to try to divert these guys. And then we just have Eric, Dave and the sky and Bree running around down there in the prison. And it makes no sense. They split up off from each other all the time for no good reason so that they're on their own. And, um, you know, sometimes they'll be together when they'll see something and that's what will, you know, motivate one of the girls to be scared and run off. Ah! Um, but you're right. They see there's one room that has like a big, some sort of bone sculpture. Um, again, you know, very stereotypical for these types of movies. Looks like some sort of satanic um, ritual or something. It's like and then, yes, there's another one. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then there's another room, you're right, that had like what looked like human hides, like like people had been skinned and their skin had been hung up on hooks and there were some heads in there. Um, Sarah eventually makes her way to the prison. She gets down in there too. She finds a room full of skulls. <laughs> And none of the, it, you know, it's, it's all just for atmosphere. Like there's, there's really no point to any of these things except for, okay, we get it. It's some sort of cult or something, but that's it. Um, it's really just, Ooh, look what we made. It's scary. You know, if there were purpose to it, if the story was better, those, cause they're actually pretty cool set pieces, Yeah. but it's just like walking through a haunted, it's just like walking through a haunted house. Mm. Like you take a look in there and you're like, Oh yeah, that's scary. And then you walk onto the next room. Like, that's you know that might be fun for a haunted house, but for a movie, it it, it feels pretty thin. Yeah, and and I want to say that it's even before the locals come that Sarah, not Sarah, I think it's Sabrina or Sky makes a comment that says after they encounter one of these rooms and says this is a trap. It's the locals. This is exactly what they wanted. And I'm thinking, right. what trap? You guys on a on a whim decided to come out here. Nobody cajoled exactly. you out here. It 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 doesn't make sense as a trap. Uh, it's, it, maybe it's maybe it's the bear trap you set in the woods, hoping that in you know years from now somebody will stumble upon it. But it's definitely not exactly what the locals wanted. It's what you wanted. You guys are the ones who chose to come out here in the first place. <laughs> right. So yeah, it's it's very tenuous and. I don't know, you know, of course Sarah gets dropped, you know, Sarah leaves that car and magically finds her way back in there, so she's with the mix too. And and Sarah is having these visions down there as well. And sh- sadly, this is the only way that we really get any more backstory on this little girl thing that pops back in. 
um, because Sarah has this gift, I guess, or is being given these visions, and we get to see uh, like a movie played out in front of her. We get more of the backstory of this girl, and apparently what happened with this little girl is after she was chased down, um, they grabbed her, the villagers grabbed her, and I guess because she had this birthmark, she was significant, she was important, and they take her, this cult takes her into uh, a barn, and uh, I guess they're probably going to have their way with her, um, mm-hmm. basically impregnate her, and it's pretty creepy. Uh, one guy says, right. hey, you might get and lucky plus, too. <laughs> yeah, it's super creepy, especially since she's she looks like she's maybe eight or nine. Like, yeah. I don't know if these people understand how human reproduction works, but um, I think it would be fairly unlikely that a child that young would become pregnant. However, we're dealing with supernatural Satanists, so what, I guess anything's possible. Supernatural the important thing that we see there in that flashback is that um, – Cain, this guy, we find, you know, this supposedly this mass murderer who killed all these people and ate them. This is the guy that we assume we've been seeing, the big, scary, heavy metal guy. Um, Cain actually tries to help the little girl escape. Um, He's not successful because she takes off running and ends up running out of, of a window that's like on the second floor and she falls and dies. Um, but I guess what this is supposed to be the twist, I think, is that we have thought that this ghost that has been appearing all along was malevolent and was evil and was trying to, you know, kill all these people or whatever. As it turns out, he wasn't the malevolent one. It's the townspeople who are the villains. And the the ghost is actually trying to help these people. But there, there are some things that are just completely nonsensical if that's the case, because before this – um, Dave, is it Dave? Uh, yeah. Yes. Dave runs into a room and finds Kane chained to a wall and Kane kills him, like sends out this big burst of flame from his chest or something and kills Dave. It makes no sense with the rest of the narrative. Yeah. If this ghost is supposed to be trying to help these people, why would he kill one of them? It doesn't make any sense. Yes, yes, exactly. It's, it's, it's one of these cases of the ghost appears, and I think you're right about what's supposed to be the twist, and you're absolutely right that it also makes no sense. Um, you can sometimes forgive the idea that, well, when a ghost appears to somebody, it's naturally going to be scary. The ghost can't help that it's scary because it's dead or it looks gross or whatever. So it's trying to be benevolent but is, and helpful, but is being mistaken for something odd and terrifying. Except this guy really is like intentionally terrifying. He kills this guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so he's not really helping anything. Uh, Sarah. Okay. So Sarah coughs up the dirt. Dave is dead. What? <laughs> everybody gets picked off. Yeah. Everybody gets picked <laughs> off in a matter of like a few minutes. No, but I, I love, except the, for Sarah. I love the bit where, um, where Eric comes across the file that Dave had. Or is it a separate file? I guess it's a separate file. The the important part is that these locals have scattered uh, police files of uh, Kane throughout throughout this abandoned prison. Uh, In the as one character says, I think we were supposed to find this for whatever reason. I I couldn't fathom. Um, But anyway, yeah, he says it's almost like someone left this here for us to find. Yeah, yeah, it does kind of seem like that. (laughs) It does. Like I don't know the prop guy. (laughs) 
nuts. But anyway, um, Sky, I think it was Sky who runs across Dave and finds that he's dead. And so she runs back off and uh, encounters Eric. And Eric has this file. And she says, Dave is dead. And he goes, what? And she says, like, he's dead. He died. And Eric's like, okay, but check out this file. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they just start reading from the file. <laughs> and the fact, poor Dave. Poor Dave in this movie becomes you, – you talk about a movie littered with just tropes from other films. He becomes that poor, stereotypical black guy who you know is going to die, mm-hmm. and nobody gives a crap. Yeah. <laughs> so you're right. Everybody kind of starts uh, getting picked off. The scene that you were just talking about, that was actually Sarah. Sarah and Eric peruse the file. Then the locals all come in, and they take off running. Eric just immediately gets shot in the head, and he's dead. So now everybody's dead that we know of um, except for Sarah. And we don't know where Matt is because we haven't seen him in a really long time. Um, But Sarah uh, Sarah ends up back in that room, the first room where Skye and Eric had sex and and all that went down. Um, And both Kane and the little girl appear to her. And Kane opens his hands and has a butterfly in it. Um, and, And he says to her, Anna had the mark. Uh, I failed her in the barn. It ain't happening again. So apparently he's going to try to protect Sarah. And I guess what we're supposed to believe is that somehow he pro- he was the one that protected her when she was a kid. Like, I don't even understand what the ghosts were that were after them when they were kids. I, I, I have no idea what that was all about. Yeah. But here you have the, you know, the image of the butterfly again. So I guess that was him protecting her even then whatever makes no sense fine um so uh sarah so um kane runs out like he's gonna go fight with the the locals and and sarah uh runs out um but they get it they get her the locals get her and they tie her up on some sort of altar or something outside and the captain uh, who we saw from the back seat of the squad car is like, you know, drawing in blood these symbols on her belly, and it looks like um, he's going to cut uh, the the child out of her womb. Is what it looks like is going to happen. But dun dun here come Matt and Kane, who both come in and start fighting off the locals. Um, Matt has like a scythe or something, and Kane can apparently shoot fire out of himself. So they're doing all that, fighting all the people. I I think Matt eventually gets taken down. I don't remember if we actually see him, saw him get killed, uh, but it seemed like the implication was that he got killed. Um, And Sarah runs off and gets to the road and this, uh, this car pulls over and picks her up. And it's this creepy woman who we had seen before. Again, I have no idea what her significance was supposed to be. When Sarah had had her car accident right before that, she had driven by this woman on the side of the road. And after she had driven by, the woman turned around and like howled into the woods. So we recognize her from earlier. So we know she's probably not good. Um, they, she takes Sarah to a barn. And the original deputy from the very beginning who helped Sarah with her car is there. And Sarah's in labor and she's giving birth and the baby is born, but it's stillborn. And the woman says, do you want your baby to live? And Sarah has a flashback to a conversation that she and Matt had earlier on, which really has no bearing on the situation at all. No. (laughs) Um, And then, and right. And then she says, yes, I do. And the deputy cuts her throat 
she dies. We get an exterior shot of this barn that we're in. And that's it, right? I guess was the idea that only one of them could live, so the baby was born stillborn, but if they killed Sarah, then the baby would live? Because then the baby kind of wakes up and starts crying. And I wasn't sure if we were supposed to believe that was Sarah's spirit in there or what. Yeah, you're right. It. So I, anyway. I think, even- that we were, I think that we were supposed to believe that this cult ultimately was successful in what they wanted to do. Um, That they, that they did, you know, that this baby now is whatever being they needed to have delivered from the vessel. And so it's one of those movies where, Oh, bad guys won the end. Yeah. It's Rosemary's baby. Basically you can just Mm -hmm, go through mm -hmm. this movie. Oh, it's poltergeist. It's Rosemary's baby. Oh, it's, um, it's every haunted house movie I've ever seen. It's, uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Wrong Turn, mm-hmm. <laughs> The Hills Have Eyes, you know, all of them, yeah. All so kind of- many things just thrown into a blender. Well, and, you know, it's weak. Obviously, it's weak because it's hard to follow. It's weak because it doesn't make sense because the whole Kane thing. The thing I don't get, if it's supposed to be Kane who visited them as kids... And Cain ultimately just wants these villagers dead, but he's unsuccessful. I mean, where did Cain go, right? Is he conf- He's not confined to the prison because he apparently saved Sarah and Matt when they were younger, right? And mm-hmm. he doesn't need mm-hmm. to be woken up by a spell in a book to have any power because he's been appearing to them in all these different places outside of the prison and also released some butterflies to him and Matt when some other unknown ghost was getting at them. So where has he been all this time? Why hasn't he taken care of the villagers earlier if he could do that? Right. Okay, maybe in order no to... No idea. Maybe in order to wake him up um, and give him the ultimate power, you need to read from this spell book in that room. Okay, fine. So that's been done. He kills the villagers in that room, but then... When the hillbillies pick up, pick up Sarah outside uh, this whole event and take her back to the barn and do this last ending scene, where is Kane now to decide decide she doesn't need protecting anymore? Right? I mean, it just right. it just it just doesn't make. It, it, there's no internal coherence to the plot. It just isn't. Mm-hmm. Um, the first half was a pretty good setup, and then it just devolved into. Ugh, I yeah, and you know, like like I've said, you know, in terms of acting, in terms of cinematography, I've certainly seen worse. I've definitely seen worse. This is not, by any stretch of the imagination, the worst horror film I've ever seen. Um, would I watch it again? No. Um, I, I could see how maybe this might be something that, and we've said this before, we're probably getting a little old saying it, but like if you were having a Halloween party and you just wanted scary movies running in the background all the time, there's some interesting visual stuff going on here. And it, it's short and it moves at a pretty quick pace. So for that purpose, it, it, it might be effective. But this, the narrative is, is weak, to say the least. Well, and you bring up a good point. It is short, and that is... That is pretty nice. It does move. Um, it doesn't get boring. It gets confusing, uh, but it doesn't mm-hmm. really get boring. And it moves quick enough. And, you know, if you've only spent 70 minutes on it and you're disappointed at the end, at least it wasn't two hours, right? Right. It, it wasn't even yep. an hour and a half. Well, we've seen much worse movies right. that we've had to sit through for, for that long. 
Um, and this wasn't a, a horrible movie to sit through. The acting was pretty competent. Uh, the cinematography was very good. Even the effects, which in a movie like this can tend to be on the cheesy side or clearly computer generated, uh, I thought were pretty effective. It just they did some interesting things. That that scene that you were talking about when Sarah had the flashback and it appears almost like a movie projection, that was kind of cool. And there were other cool things too. There were a couple of effects that were a little cheesy. The initial butterfly explosion uh, early in the movie seemed kind of cheap. But other than, other than that, yeah, I, I agree with you. Yeah, it's just a kitchen sink kind of movie, and it didn't have a satisfying story to it. Uh, that was, I guess, the most disappointing. And honestly, that's really what matters whenever you're watching anything. You can put up with bad effects or cheesy acting or whatever if the story is good. And here's one True. of those clear examples of you can have everything else right, um, but if you don't have a good, coherent uh, story, it just all seems to waste. <laughs> Couldn't say it better myself, my friend. Well, thank you for joining us uh, for this episode. If you enjoyed it, please check us out on iTunes and Stitcher. Share it with a friend. Also, check us out on social media. Facebook. Our Facebook page is a good place to let us know what other films you would like us to see and let us know what you thought of this film or any of the other films that we've reviewed. Until next time, I'm Todd. And I'm Craig. With two guys and a chainsaw. Chainsaw.